Welcome to Season 5 of the Art of Teaching Podcast. My name is Matthew Green and I'm so grateful that you took the time to listen. When I started this podcast at the beginning of 2021, I had no idea that the episodes and discussions would resonate with so many educators across the globe. So thank you to all those that have downloaded, listened to, shared and reviewed the podcast. It means the world to know that there are teachers out there that are benefiting from these discussions. It's my great pleasure today to introduce you to another inspiring leader and educator. With over 25 years of experience in leadership, including in education, human resources, the public sector and sales, Generation Lead CEO Debbie Lowe knows how people-centred leadership and organisational cultures can achieve exponential results. The links to Generation Lead and the resources that we talked about in this episode are in the show notes. I hope that you get a lot out of this wide-ranging and fascinating discussion. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for uh, for chatting with me today. How are you? It's fantastic to be with you, Matthew. Thank you so much for the invitation. I'm so happy to be able to share with you what Generation Lead's doing. Gosh, you are. Uh, it's so wonderful uh, to speak to you. Before we get started, uh, what is your coffee order? Quite possibly the most important question. <laughs> well, these days it's changed a little bit because it used to be, and you like this, three short blacks and one green juice. And the reason being that I would be driving for two hours each way and I was not going to spill a short black. I like saying short black, I like saying standing at the counter and having it. But these days I get to add a coffee order because I might be going to a client. So these days it tends to be two short blacks, and one long black with one sugar. I think you can tell a lot about somebody about the coffee order and a short black is very efficient, straight to the point, no no mucking around. Um, but it's interesting now that you can maybe take your time a little bit more and and, and have a, uh, maybe enjoy the, the coffee experience a little more than you could before. <laughs> I think the only difference is it um, changes the commute in this virtual environment, to be honest. Absolutely. Life is, life's just as busy, um, yeah. but um, it's, it's wonderful and... Um, you know, looking out this window, I can see 1,000 reasons to be grateful and gratitude drives me. I know it drives you too. And um, being with you today is just one more reason. For oh, that's that's lovely. And we will get uh, into some of the amazing things that you're doing um, uh, with your new um, uh, new projects. I won't steal your thunder. Um, but is there a book uh, that you have read recently that's made you stop and reconsider everything? Could be Not books. so much recently, but I'm a rereader. So I'm the sort mm-hmm. of girl who collected series books and had all the famous fives and would have read oh. them 30 or 40 times each. And I was a collector and I really believe in the power of series books for yeah. teaching kids to read too. And I've written about that. But for me, books come to me. And sometimes you really have to grapple with a book. And I remember a book that I picked up on Port Stephens and it was by John Bradshaw and it was called Healing the Shame That Binds You. Gosh. Family therapist. And I knew for my situation at that time, and we're talking over 20 years ago, that that book would be coming with me up to the counter. But I remember taking up to the counter and feeling very vulnerable and holding that title in my hand. 
another book um, which made me understand for the first time and get the tools to make the changes I needed to change in my own life again over 20 years ago, but I've bought over 20 copies of this and I have only one left, is The Abusive Relationship, How to Recognize It and How to Respond by Patricia right. Evans. And she's right. re read a lot, written a lot about coercive control, power and control models in the workforce as well as the home. And that's where I got my tools for ensuring the building blocks for an equitable um, employee experience where wow. well-being was um, embedded in the actual work itself and time wow. and task were joyful. So wow. that's an important book. But the other one is The Secret by Rhonda Byrne. And if you told me as a principal of Newington, a brand new foundation principal, that one of my teachers would give me this book and say, you need this book and that she would be right. And I would visit that book many, many times. Um, it is the power of being open to a new experience, being open to examining your own prejudices. Because if you Amazing. told me I'd be really enjoying a self-help book 20 years ago, or that I'd actually hug a staff member at that time, I would have thought you were very, very strange. Wow. So books do um, mean a lot to me, and they move you, and they change you. Amazing. I love your analogy of how we we rediscover books or books come to us. And I know that there are books that I have read at a particular season in my life that I hadn't got, haven't got a lot out of, but then I reread them in a few years time and we might've been through a family crisis or a, um, a, some sort of a, a personal challenge and the books have really spoken to me. And, and, and books for me are some of the most precious things that we have because um, it's it's professional learning, it's self-help, it's all of these things um, incorporated into one. And I'm just looking at our bookcase at the moment and there's a, uh, a lot that I need to get through, I think, but always uh, always up for new, uh, um, new recommendations. So Debbie, I'm interested, um, why did you go into teaching? It's a, it's a big it's a big question, but take us back to the beginning because yeah, obviously... it, it is a big question because I was a girl who didn't really know what I wanted to be, but I was mm -hmm. coming up against some really major pressures in my wow. very young teenage life. And one of them was that I didn't have a family who saw a lot of value in education. I was certainly right. the very first of my family to even consider higher education. And I needed to find myself and get away. And my father took my, so me and my best friend, and it was an unusual for, thing for him to do, to a careers evening at his old high school. And wow. as a gentleman who'd left that high school and hated high school and hated Gosh. primary school at 15, in fact, his very first day, he started a small fire and the 1931 earthquake happened um, at recess. Um, wow. That was quite a big thing for him to do. But in this particular room with this teacher who was talking about her craft, she was a person who was obviously very strong in herself, able to take her kids with a vision. She, she loved them dearly. She knew what she wanted for them. She knew her curriculum and she knew the power of teaching to make a difference. And when she went into that room, and I guess she closed the door, which is very different to the collaborative practice that we now enjoy in our classrooms and across our classrooms, yeah. she became her own person, her own leader. She was in control. She was in charge. She knew where she wanted to go. She didn't feel she was being bossed yeah, wow. or prescribed. 
and she was able to make her decisions. And that to me opened up the pathway. And I was very fortunate because in New Zealand, where I came from, we were old land, no money, um, an orchardist's daughter um, and brought up in a very strict religious environment. For me to take that step into education, I needed to go wow. from school at year 11. Wow. And so I was able to get a studentship to um, Teachers College and then to get to university. So that was my pathway. Wow. And when I did my first prep, it was with a kindergarten class, <laughs> not a kindergarten teacher. In fact, I was really a girl who was thinking very much about the middle years. That's where I specialised. And I remember when little Jason brought a note to school that told us from his mum that she'd been up all night and he'd been up all night too because he needed to be up all night to look after her something in me found my calling wow. and for all those little jasons and those little jadens and little jasmines who probably don't know how much they've been known valued and cared for i needed to be there for them from that moment on and to make that difference for each and every single one of those kids in every classroom and that wow. became my mandate and i could see that Whatever was happening at home for little Jason, if I could be supporting his mum as well, his first teacher, if I could be helping him grow, I was going to be getting him ready for a life. We didn't know what was in, in, going to be there for him, but we knew we could make a difference and give him skills, values, understandings Gosh. to hold on to, to grab those choices and to inevitably craft his own life. So that's why I became a teacher and that's why yeah. I stayed being a teacher. And even when I left being a teacher and became a personnel executive recruit um, officer in the um, 80s, I wanted to go back to teaching because I could quantify what I was doing with adults one-on-one, mm -hmm. -on -one, adults who've been um, maybe made redundant, terminated in the late 80s, 90s, um, when we had quite a change and a financial crisis. Um, what we could do with children who were much more um, resilient but also elastic um, and able to stretch in ch times challenge became absolutely a compulsive reason to get back into the classroom and wow. then I taught like I'd never taught before. Wow that that's so inspiring I've got I've got goosebumps it's really um, exciting to see your passion to see uh, just how much you light up and it seems as if even though you spent many years outside the classroom and even though now you're not um, working directly in schools, it's really lovely to see uh, that incredible passion to make a difference in the lives of young people, yeah. which is really wonderful. I remember many years ago, there was a wonderful principal called Andy Best and Andy worked with Al Gore. And I remember us being in a very big Southwestern Sydney principals conference and the speaker asked everyone who was a teacher to stand. Hardly anyone in that auditorium of principals stood. Andy stood. And then he asked everybody who was a principal to stand. Wow. And of course, everybody stood. Wow. But that was the moment I realized that, like Andy, I would always be a teacher. I love yeah. being a leader, but I won't give up that care for students, care for kids, care for growth, care for communities, care to make that difference in a life and give choices. And that's what education does. So I think I'm a better leader than I was a teacher, to be honest. But um, interesting. I always that that example stayed with me. That man standing on his feet alone in the audience. So how how do you um how do you make sure in such a like I said you you worked as a school uh, director for many years. How do you make sure that 
you keep your feet in both camps. So you started off obviously as a classroom teacher, moved into executive roles, moved into school principal roles, and then working as a director. Um, how do you make sure you know what is actually going on in classrooms and to make sure that you're aware of what best practice is um, when you're not spending all of your time in a classroom? I think that the same thing that drives a teacher when they realise they can put their head up and look across the class next door mm. and make a difference in the class next door, as John Hattie talks to us about, yeah. is what drives leadership. It's For me, any leadership role I've taken has always been about how can I be of greater service? How can I give more? Yeah. Not how can I be more, how, not yeah. how can I achieve more, certainly never for me how can I be more invisible uh, more visible I'm more the invisible leader I like my principals and my teachers to shine and often made student-based assemblies the focus of the event but how can I serve how can I make a difference and um, for me as a principal knowing that you couldn't be in that classroom with every single child being absolutely student-centered knowing valuing and caring for every single student as an individual but putting my energy into supporting what was happening for my staff so my efforts were always even at 3 15 in the morning about how can i help that teacher how can i help that conversation not a conversation around that awful and inexorable ring and if, if they just if they just if they just but always pushing me how can my words do that shift how can my words be that portability and i remember at hampton park one day going down the corridor and there was one of our newest assistant principals with a group of kindergarten um, teachers around her we had seven kindergarten classes and i heard my own words coming out of her mouth wow and all i needed to do was trot by <laughs> And wow. smile because the work was being perpetuated. So making sure that if you were thinking about a SWOT analysis, we were concentrating on what was important, but yeah. not urgent was that's where we sat all yeah. the time. Yeah. So we were prioritizing, focusing, filtering, filtering, and very importantly, integrating. So we didn't do a standalone. Everything was embedded. And as you know, Matthew, leadership is 80% thinking time. Yeah. And you can think anywhere. Yeah. So that's how you do it. That's you you can you know you you do a lot of work with your body language and your or you know your appearance and your capacity within the school as you're moving around. You're ever scanning, you're ever smiling, you're ever engaging, but it's at top speed. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. you've got to be on your feet, you've got to be moving fast, and you've got to be feeling organically with every single bit at you because you know what's going on in that classroom as you speed by yeah. or speed in you it's like yeah. being a teacher you know about a week out when one of your kids is going to be sick that's right you can just yeah. know it, so it, there's a knowingness that comes and it's actually an interesting thing because i was able to um bring some of that um work that i'd done on how do you know to the early years of business intelligence with the department of education too uh -huh. so yeah uh, your um your passion uh is contagious um i don't i don't know how you do it um but do you think the well i i, I do you keep students at the center of everything that you do 
Um, I love your people. Yeah, and I think I loved my principals. I embarrassingly so. Right. I loved my um, teachers. I love my staff. It's like a family. You don't have a favourite child. There's you're always thinking for each and every one of them. Mm -hmm. What can you do to take them to the next step or help them be even bigger or, or help them recognise the strengths they never knew existed? Yeah. Help them achieve over and above their wildest expectations. Wow. I'm about exponential results. Do you think that the notion of leadership has changed or are we just rediscovering some of its essential qualities, which is it's always been about people? It's always been I think about there, um, the notion of leadership um, is something that we tend to feel we know. Yeah. And then we, as a culture, we put um, caveats on leadership before mm. it even starts to engage as leadership we, even in the media and we start to predict or compartmentalize or sort yeah. Yeah. or um analyze what a future um, outcome will be and we start to dilute and also to um almost um pollute it yeah but at the center it is taking a group of people where they need to be these days we know a lot more about where they need to be because we've got a lot more information and data but I think one of the tensions we've got in our society at the moment is the difference between people-centered leadership practice and aiming for what used to be called the triple bottom line to a more um, pr productivity um, yeah. aspiring type of leadership and that is a tension worldwide. We're seeing a paucity and scarcity of leadership in the research. People are crying out for leaders. It's one of the reasons I started Generation Lead. I didn't expect no. the name Generation Lead was going to be a call to, call to action, which it's become, no. because Generation X, Generation Y and Z and the baby boomers can all be in Generation no. Lead. But if you want to put people at your centre and value your people, and take a focus as professor richard jolly talks about focusing on strengths asking what they think and inviting them to contribute you've got a powerful conversation wow. and if you put a little swot analysis together with the words and think if you think about it being called talk t-a-l-k okay but put two on the top left quadrant with on the top right and think about the power of talking to and with people wow. rather than what would be on the bottom quadrant and what we tend to do when we're worried as leaders we talk about people and as one of my clients said to me the other day when he was saying if I, you could give me clarity <laughs> he said we talk at people wow. at that moment wow and if you think about what big leadership thought is doing at the moment there's there's a tension between freeing creative thinking and design thinking yes but then if you start that process well intentioned but bolt instead a whole compliance framework a performance framework with new language new learning new understanding and new assessment on top of somebody without talking to them wow. you'll perpetuate a, you'll perpetuate a culture of talking about and at gosh and unfortunately you put people into boxes and then we don't trust and we don't recognize what they could do and what and um richard jolly says we pay for their hands but we get their heads for free what are we doing about that yeah wow we've got a whole resource sitting in our classrooms 
wow. university education, lots of ideas, passion, and a curriculum. Wow. Let's let them loose. It's, it's so true. And for those people that haven't heard of Generation Lead, um, it's like which I am incredibly excited about. And, we're, and I'll put all of the resources, uh, all the links to your resources in the show notes. But tell me about what you're doing now and why this is something that you are so passionate about. So as I said, leadership um, being education, being leadership's nursery. Yeah, yeah. It seems a natural place to help leaders connect to people and potential. Mm. And so we coach and consult with leaders and really high-performing professionals from very varied organisations um, because it's not the organisation that's the content here. It's actually the Leadership Act. And we work with leaders at the area of thought, at the area of vision. We are that person shoulder to shoulder, that private space, thinking about a leader's work to try and get that decision right. Mm. to work out of all the choices I've got to take my organisation forward. Let's face it, we've all broken up with the new normal already. Yeah. Um, but with, with this now um, bottom line where were we as productive where we were as we've been? Can we measure everything by a bottom line? There's a lot of technical experts sitting working from home right now on technical solutions. They're good at collaboration in that space but they're not trusting the team around them. And many of them haven't met the team around them, but we're going to continue operating in new and hybrid environments. We're going to be operating in a metaverse with new and unprecedented levels of connectivity. So the choices for coming at leaders to take their organization, whether it's a business, whether it's a not-for-profit, whether it's a corporation, whether it's public sector, whether it's a school, whether it's a small business, whether it's a trade business, mm -hmm. these things for a small to medium enterprise are consuming our leaders thinking and that's where Generation Lead sits in that place. So we sit in that place of leadership coaching, but we also work in the space of organisational culture. And I've always believed as a principle that you started everything. And I started Newington Public School with this. And let's face it, annual school reports used to start with this too, from the area of culture. So yeah. if we want to be a people-centered, um, dynamic, um, open, creative, free-thinking group of people, we're going to need to have some... Um, leaders thinking deeply about the conversations to get that clarity of purpose to that group of leaders wow. um, because they're leaders as well and i believe that every teacher in a classroom is a leader so yeah. how do you free up that person to trust that they will be able to ask for what they need and that when they contribute it will be valued and that their strength will be known and understood and their experience may be noticed yeah. in that group because yeah. then you start doing a really hybrid level of collaboration. Yeah, yeah. And so I'm doing a lot of work with organisations at the moment. Some of my new clients um, work in the areas of really challenging complex work, like in really um, re redesigned engineering experiences, artificial intelligence. If you told me I was going to be working in that area when I was setting up the STEM Academy in um, Wollongong North for Coromel High School, I would have been thrilled, but it was yeah. bigger than, this is bigger than I could have ever imagined. Wow. 
how how important has it been for you to um, to be open minded and to and to seek possibility and to and to reflect on your own um, professional understanding? Because obviously you have moved from uh, you've moved out of quite a, a respectfully a regulated and structured environment to one now where you are teaching and leading people across disciplines. So I, I guess my question is, how do you? we talk a lot about change in culture and flexibility, but how do you model that uh, in your own life? And, and do you have any advice on people that want to think a little bit broader, a little bit cross-disciplinary? Oh, that's the interesting thing about change, isn't it? That's one of the things I do when I'm doing um, some of my presentations. So I've got a lot of topics and one of them is who said that change is S-L-O-W? Mm, I don't think it is, yeah. No, but, um, and I don't either. And I don't think that sustaining change is that hard, but I think the problem is that change can't be sustained because change is change. Mm. If you go back to the late 80s, early 90s, the theory was all about accepting change, dealing with change and managing change. Then in the late 90s, 2000s, the theory was going into the constant of change. And then change somehow started to meet sustainable practice, but the sustainable <laughs> practice is the growth and improvement that needs to be noticed, monitored, tracked, yeah, celebrated. Yeah. And it's the human side of that. Wow. That's the part that's un that's difficult to sustain. The part of human nature that needs to feel attached, that fears being rejected. That's what we're dealing with when we're asking people to change. Mm. So if we can create that culture of trust and we're talking to and with our people and we're investing time and space in the busyness of our days, then by that investment, I believe that you'll get exponential results and growth and the teams will achieve, which was what I experienced and what my teams used to write to me and years later. We achieved over and above our experiences and we had joy in our work. Wow. And I remember one of my second amazing. year teachers blurting out in the middle of a staff meeting, bless his heart, he was so brave. He just came out with this. The joy is the learning and the work is the joy. And I went, oh, wow, thank you. Wow, wow. But, you know, that was a risk that he took. It was a blurt. Yeah. And he in doing so yes seeded an, a, a new culture for the aspiring leaders in the group yeah wow that's that's really exciting once again it seems like this young teacher was just like in the same way the young kindergarten teacher in the corridor was replicating something sorry was repeating something that you had said to them but not only repeating it but was embodying something so you know that you have had an impact um on those two teachers lives because they are um out of them flows what you were talking about. And so I think it's really, it's, it's a really wonderful testimony, I think. And um, that must've made you feel really proud when you heard him say that. I, I, I felt joy. Um, yeah, wow. I didn't think about myself at the time at all. And you've just made me think about that for the first time, to be honest, but um, yeah, thank you. <laughs> wow, wow. So how, like, I mean, how do we take people through this process of change? Because I, I, lo I love change. I love that right now in my, the amazing industry that I work in in education, that people are asking some really fundamental questions about the purpose of schools while we're here, the role of teachers. And I know for some, for me, I love that because 
it just it's just fun uh it's scary but it's fun um but i also know for some people that's really difficult and really destabilizing so how do you take people through the process of change in a way that builds trust and that also builds psychological safety because your response may be very different to mine and my response may be very different to a more experienced teacher but how do we take people through that process this is a much broader team question well, I think there's an importance about leading um, the culture that you yeah. want to perpetuate. So you've got to speak about what that culture is. Yeah. Sometimes you've got to speak about what it's not as well, but it's better right. not to actually go there. It's better to stay with the positive language. Yes. Okay. But then focusing on strengths. Wow. Not just tell me about your strengths, Matthew, but Matthew, I noticed this. I'm aware you've done that. Wow. So, you know, when somebody's noticing you or asking your advice, even if you don't know, if, it gives you a lot of confidence. Wow. So you speak your next piece of truth. Yeah. And wow. you try again wow. and you try again. And now you start to, you know, have a relationship and, and bring some data together. Wow. Uh, but it's, it's about small steps, but they're all positive. They're all informed by the ethos of how, what that the culture is, how we do things here. Wow. Wow. So there's a lot of thought that goes into it. Now, somebody's been able to have the privilege of building the foundation of a brand new school. Wow. The opportunity to think deeply about motto, about uniform colours, about inclusivity, about not ironing, um, all the things that you could think to make it make coming to school easy and joyful for a community yeah. became things that are just in the vernacular. Wow. That they're how we do it here. Wow. And then making sure that you consciously don't not bolt on extras, because if you are bolting on too much thinking, then you're muddling the brain. Wow. And nobody who's overwhelmed can be of their best. So somehow you've got to create that space and time and intention for what's important and take away what's not. Wow. So that's part of the leadership role about what we model some of us think that you know if we're cleaning up after the mother's day store we are the hardest we're showing we're the hardest working person in the school that's not necessarily the art of leadership yeah yeah wow there, i mean there's there's so much in there in, in that debbie um there's so many threads i would love to pursue but i also want to be respectful of your time um it, it's really wonderful like i said to hear um to hear your journey and to hear the, the processes that you've been through to get to where you are today and to also know that um that everything has served this point that you're at with generation lead so all of your experience in the classroom teacher and as an executive and as a principal and director and all of those things it's giving you this really wonderful perspective to build um this company now that can really serve uh other leaders and other individuals so it's great to see your experience really uh, counting and, and really being meaningful for where you're at. So I'm, I'm really excited to see the space and to see what, what you do with it. I mean, um, is there, um, what sort of current, has it been an easy transition for you? I mean, what are some of the things that you, that you miss from your life, your previous life in schools? Um, has it been an emotional journey? How are you doing all of that kind of stuff? Um, it's been, unbridled joy oh lovely good to hear um i think the reality of being quieter in COVID has been meaning that you can really focus your attention yeah um and be curious and um it's 
hard to leave anything. Um, you know, any school, any group of people that you've cared about, but you don't lose them. You take them with you. Um, yeah. You you take those relationships. You take that legacy. You you they they tell you the impact you've had. Yeah. Um, and they can be part of that group too. You know, like the consultants we have with Generation Lead, they're all people who share the same mindset, the same values, the same vision and the same efficacy and um, have got very broad life and educational leadership experience and very well respected. They're also a very diverse group of consultants. Yeah, well. So I was wanting that diversity and inclusivity from the, from the word go. But... Um, I do think that one of our, um, a very recent quote um, that I saw on LinkedIn said that when leadership becomes about surveillance, then it is no more than poor management. Wow. And I think going back to what are the tensions and what has changed, um, if, you, if you don't trust and don't know what it is that you're working on or going for, wow. then you will tend to take a need to comply need to check box wow. uh, need to get that done wow. ideology where you can free up with a little bit of trust and acknowledgement of the strengths of these very well educated people that you have around you as a yeah. gift yeah um you can take that with you i remember one of my principals saying to me once with great joy he was quite young and he got his got this new school he wasn't a first time principal and he said i'm going to build my own team and I looked at him and I said to him very dryly, you're going to build the team you've got. Because he wasn't going to go and choose new teachers. Yeah. He was going to get the very best out of the group he got. And he did it. And he did it in spades. And when and he went for a promotion position, they all cried. Wow. And like he had to leave, I have to leave. We all have to move on in life because we, we, haven't, we haven't, I haven't finished being of service. There's more I can do. Wow. So I need to give more yet. My partner often says to me and has said many times over the last 10 years, have you got fuel on the tank for that? And I look at him and say, yep. And he said, well, then go for it. Well, wow. wow. he's we waiting all, for the day. I say, I've got no more fuel. We all need somebody like that in our lives. And uh, he, it's, it's, it's really great to see that you have someone like that saying that to you. Um, as, as you as you know, um, you know, life does doesn't happen exactly in neat segments. But it took me forty six years to find him, but it was well worth every single lost year. Wow, that's um, yeah. Debbie, that's wonderful. I did just want to touch on something that you said there about um, you'll build the team that you've got, and I think that is a really important point. And I don't want to um, move on to the next thing or gloss over that. Um, how important, like, obviously, you don't get to choose the people that when, when you take a job, you don't get to choose your colleagues. In many ways, you, uh, you uh, just inherit them. So like, you can either spend the time complaining about not having an ideal team or wanting it to be different, or you can just take responsibility, as you told this young principal to do, and um, actually invest into that team and bring the, the gold out. How, how on earth do you do that? How do you spot the gold in someone and draw it out and build the team that you have basically if you think back to going to and with and talking to and with rather than at and about yeah but it, you set the scene you set the culture and i'll give you a really good example of how i did it at hampton park in right. 2000 and 
five, I think it was. Gosh. And um, I went into a school that was, I guess some people would have said that in terms of its results, it was on the decline. But there were certain things happening. For instance, it started, school started at 9.30 in the morning yeah. and there were a few things that needed to change. But um, I said to the staff immediately, I didn't know any of them. So there were a few things I did from day one. I asked them all to walk out to the assembly with me together. So showing there was a change, we all walked out together. I was really glad they did that. Wow. Um, but then I said, I was gonna meet with every staff member. Anybody expected me to do that, but everybody expected me to be asking, tell me about you, tell me about your life, your family, whatever. I'm not very good at that. What I do is I say, tell me about your kids. Yeah. And as they tell me about their kids, they're telling me about their work. They're wow. telling me about their ethics. They're telling wow. me about what they value. They're telling me about their curriculum strengths. They're telling me about the things that make them come to school. They're telling me about things they don't like. But when you've got a focused conversation, then you're setting up a, an expectation, wow. which is going to be already cascading to your leaders by that first recess time. We don't waste time. Yeah. We're going to embed talking about our kids at every single opportunity. We're going, we've got now got a leader who's going to see that our staff well-being can be linked to the outcomes for our kids wow. and is going to be freeing up the conditions for me as a teacher to perform at my absolute best so I can be everything needed for those kids that I'm now then going to tell her an wow. update on those kids. And very soon our conversation, our classrooms cha changed, but our work in our classrooms changed, our collaborative practice in classrooms changed. You didn't have someone sitting at the front and another teacher sitting at the back who was there for support or, or English as a second language, nodding and smiling as somebody read a book. Wow. You had a different vernacular going on about the students, their needs and their strengths in the staff room. It wasn't a place where people were coming to collapse because they had energy. Yeah, wow. So then that changed the entire tone of the school. And it, it had had a really tough time that school. It had even been burned down twice. Gosh. But it became um, a school, and that was the only time they saw me cry, 2009, the last basic <laughs> I might add. But we, we were in the top tier of the state for overall literacy, girls and phase three ESL. Wow. And my father's um, of a 97% non-English speaking background school community, I remember we had a staff meeting. There was a group of fathers in the staff meeting. Uh, uh, sorry, a, a PNC meeting. And they wrapped themselves in each other's arms and they cried for their girls and how proud they were of their achievements. Gosh. And, and we knew we were changing trajectories for families. So yeah. that's where leadership goes to somewhere like we work with the STEM Academy and the Aboriginal Education Centre for Coromel. It's all this, the, 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 the more opportunities you have to lead, the more opportunities you have to collaboratively make a deeply important difference for familial outcomes, for societal outcomes into the future. And that's why I do what I do. And that's why Generation Lead connects people and potential to leadership for change. Gosh, that is, that is an incredible uh, pitch for the wonderful work that you are doing. And, and like I said, I, I love your passion. I love when you talk about these stories your face lights up and you get excited and it's and it's far it's so much more than just a job for you it's a calling it's a whatever you uh, however you describe it 
I think it's so lovely to see that now you get to make a difference in the lives of countless uh, people, um, not just the ones in your directorate, which is really, really lovely to see. So um, I can't wait to share all of those uh, resources with our audience and um, get your contact details so that they can get in touch with you uh, if needed. Um, so what big question are you trying to solve when it comes to Generation Lead? I mean, you've talked a little bit about what it, um, what it is about, but what uh, maybe if you wouldn't mind spending a bit more time unpacking what the gap in the market is for generation leading yeah. lights so important. Um, we have a deep belief that leadership is timeless, mm -hmm. ageless. Love it. Yeah. And has never been more important. Yeah. That's great. And we believe that um, it can be taught, it can be built, it can be nurtured, but it needs to be supported and it needs to be supported at the leadership space. Yeah. Um, and the very deep type of coaching that we do is based on strengths, wow. solutions, wow. and growth. Wow. So the, the methodology and the coaching frameworks all underpin that approach. Yeah. Um, so one of my clients said to me the other day, you haven't asked for my um, bottom line, you haven't asked for my bank balances and you know my financial records. Well, that's his responsibility. My area is helping him at the level of his decision making. He knows the change he's looking for there. Yeah. What I'm doing is helping him get from fuzzy to focused, from chaotic to clear. And so then he can take his words to the people that he has the privilege to work with in the way that will make the most profound difference in their understanding capacity to uplift. So where generation lead works is in that mighty space of shifting thinking. Wow. Wow. So we believe that thinking can be shifted. Wow. And um, we believe in that thing about change. Well, we all know what it's like to have a relationship and to lose that relationship. And that comes down to hope and fear, doesn't it? Yeah. But isn't it funny how we never lose that hope and all of a sudden we meet a new person and all of a sudden change has happened hasn't it we've got hope we've got all sorts of plans for that new person change has happened change wasn't wow. slow well i was uh i was speaking a little while ago to um the amazing dr adam fraser and he was talking yes. about uh he was talking about just the level just how complicated schools are and he said a quote and and, and i'm uh, we, this wasn't in the questions that i sent to you so it's a bit of a curveball um but he said by far being a school principal is the hardest job we've ever come across. Um, do you agree? Do you agree with that? Uh, and also, do you think that uh, people understand the complexities of the role of principalship? I think it depends. Okay. I think context is key. Yes, absolutely. Um, mindset matters. Yep. And support and inclusion matters. So, yeah. If we can keep our leaders at their best, it might be the hardest. It might be one of the hardest jobs, but it also might be one of the most rewarding. Yeah. yeah. So I'll give you a little analogy on hard because I do some talking on hard and other four letter words and people in the audience will recognize this talk. But yeah. um, picture this. It's um, a few years back and a middle aged Debbie and her friend Robin are on holiday in Bali. And these two middle aged ladies stumble out of their hotel on 32 degree morning having 
conquered the breakfast buffet, clutching <laughs> their ample bottles of water towards the day. Of course, they clad in matching cargo pants and sensible shoes. No. But as we went across the road, I saw a group of women, probably my own age or a little bit older, and they were shoveling basalt onto their heads, big baskets of basalt onto their and putting them on their heads and taking them to a building site. I took a picture with permission and I put that on my presentations and I did challenge my staff about using the word hard. Wow. Because if we go on about how hard it is, what do you feel? Tired. Go down, yeah. it's hard. Then yeah. we've got to start a conversation to perpetuate to each other how hard it is. Yeah. But if you actually concentrate on the uplift and going back to one of your last questions, the why, Simon Sinek's work, Yes. Always start with why. He says it over and over and over. That's yeah. the place where you're in, to the place that lights up the brain, that yeah. lights up the strengths, that focuses on contribution, yeah. willingness yeah. to share. But as I said to somebody in a meeting yesterday, it also puts a responsibility on the teacher or staff member. They've got to actually stand up and share what they yeah. need. Yeah. I, I think that that's so important, Debbie. And um I, I look, I have been criticized for many things in my life, and one of them is for being annoyingly optimistic. And, and I think that um, I see the challenges that we have in our profession. Trust me, I'm, I'm in it every day. I know how hard it is. I know how structured and regulated it is. But I think the, the, I come from the point of view that, like, I think I can actually make a difference. And so, like, it's so for me I'm kind of having I have this tension between it's like the Stockdale paradox where you acknowledge the brutal reality of the facts but yet you know that it could be better and you know that you are part of the solution and I think that's kind of the tension that I hold because I think like if you weren't optimistic like if you weren't if you didn't believe in the um the greatness of students and the goodness of people then you're in the wrong profession and so to get to be a part of this industry, not industry, this profession, it's so much more than that, um, is an incredible privilege. And I know it's it's damn hard, but I think your words and the way you frame um, your responses are really, really important. It's not, it is hard, or it's right, it's not hard, it's challenging. I know I'm, uh, it's, but what an incredible privilege to get to be a part of this. So I think what you're saying about even reframing your response is, is so incredibly important because when I hear the word hard or it can't be done or I feel I feel tired and I don't have time for that we've got a difference to make in the lives of young people so we need to get moving um yeah but yeah they're, it, not, they're not um they're not complex they're not going to sit in boxes and they're not going to wait <laughs> that's that's so true um Debbie it would be amiss of me not to ask you um about this ongoing COVID-19 pandemic and what you think it has revealed to us um, about schools and about leadership. What are your what are your thoughts on that? We learned that we need to allow ourselves a little bit of downtime space, mm, and it really will go up and it will go down. And for me personally, I've learned that okay, I've got to take that time and space. Yeah, yeah. And I've seen that very gracefully responded to in schools. Wow. That's really great. I think the care that staff members have shown for each other, their ability to innovate. We've, you know, when, when a teacher was given a challenge with a curriculum, what did they produce? We've yeah. seen some amazing examples. Yeah, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I, I think, um, I know my team that I had the privilege of, of working with last year, um, they surprised me 
immeasurably more than I, I, I could have imagined. And it was such an important lesson for me to remind me that let people do their job and they will surprise you. Um, they really will. People are brilliant. People are capable. Uh, people are innovative. And so for me, it actually took a release of control that I thought I had to just say, you do your job. I trust you. And I was just amazed to see um, just the level of expertise um, and just the innovation. And so I think it's taught me that um, schools and educa educators are truly wonderful people and schools are incredible spaces. Um, they're robust. They're dynamic. Uh, and so once again, to get to be a part of that is an incredible privilege. Um, and so it seems like it seems like you agree. I mean, we work in an industry yeah. that is full of pleasant surprises. It is absolutely. And where you've got a group of people working together for a better way. Yeah, that's a very sophisticated reality. And in our society, we are very privileged to be able to do that. We are not under the power and control mm. of autocratic ruling. We are not under the power and control of did we have enough food and i mean rice yeah. in that bowl yeah um for our family yeah so yeah. we i think that's probably the tension yes between the desire for control and the ability to function without being in control yeah and that's a people thing and it's an organizational thing so um it comes down to values it comes down to beliefs it comes down to fear yeah it's really 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 important um just a couple more questions just as we close. Like I said, I, I want to be respectful of your time. So um, we're speaking in New South Wales. So for the New South Wales teachers in just over a week, we have to get off, uh, come out of our cocoons and return to school. Um, what advice uh, would you give to somebody who is just about to start their career in education in a week or so's time? Know your kids. That's, that's pretty good. Take the time to know your kids. Know your kids. Love your kids. Care for your kids. Wow. And teach from what your kids need. And to, for me, that means say good morning. Yeah. And if if you're a secondary teacher and you're just starting out and you've got a child who's been away from school for a while and they turn up and they haven't got the right jumper on, just say good morning and yeah. make them feel really welcome. Just be kind. It's not hard. Yeah. Yeah. Kind, welcoming and inclusive. Yeah. Yeah. And what, um, and what about when, to... When somebody oh. knows that you're glad to see them. Yeah. Yeah. Doesn't that make a difference? It makes such a difference. I think that's wonderful advice. And uh, finally, what advice would you give uh, to principals and to school leaders as they stand looking ahead at 2022 with all the potential uncertainty and the unknown, what advice would you give to these people? <laughs> I've been writing an article on um, six mistakes that new leaders make and how to avoid them. I will be reading that. <laughs> but, um, I think um, it, it could be encompassed in those words that I've already, don't be afraid to talk to. Yes. Yeah. Notice the strengths and talk to those strengths. Yeah. Yeah. Ask them what they think, listen to what they think, and invite them to contribute. Fantastic. You don't need to be the loudest voice in the room to be the leader. Wow. I think you could write a whole book on that. Um, 
Debbie, a final question. Um, where can people find out more about you? And bearing in mind, I'll put all these resources in the show notes, but but where can we follow your work and find out? More? Well, our website, our beautiful website is www.generationlead.com.au. That is live you, now, ready to it go. It is live. Come on. Uh, we had to have the softest launch because we were working long before we got the work ready. We were just, um, I think the first comment I had in writing was this will be immediately successful. I went, what um and you know the mentoring and the um the referrals have been enormous so um you know we really need people to come and book because we are incredibly sought after and i keep a finite group of consultants because i really want them to do the the brand justice you know it, this, this yeah. inclusive nature of leadership it's yeah. got to be something that everybody in the organization um you know perpetuates um, but um, just send me an email at hello at generationlead.com.au or debbie.generationlead.com.au. I'm sure that there'll be materials in the podcast, but um, be be the leader that you want to be and join the generation of yeah. leaders called Generation Thank Lead. Thank you so much, Debbie, for your time. It's it's a joy to speak to you. I mean, I know, I know you professionally and also personally, and I'm just so grateful that um there's very few people that are consistent across both areas and so it's really lovely to see somebody who uh genuinely uh, wants to make a difference i remember sitting uh, down at, uh, at a barbecue with you and just hearing your your heart and your passion to make a difference in young people and i'm like this lady is not is she's not working she should be she shouldn't be talking about this but i love the fact that you just couldn't you couldn't switch that off because it drives you every day. And it's so wonderful to see that with Generation Lead, this is just the next extension of that. So um, I look forward to watching this space um, and I can't wait to see some of the amazing resources. So um, thank you, thank you, thank you for your time. We're here to help and here to be of service. And um, yeah, very happy to be with you today. Thank you, Matthew. Thank you for taking the time to listen to the Art of Teaching podcast today. I hope that you, like me, got some valuable insights out of our discussion. For show notes, please visit theartofteachingpodcast.com. I've one favour to ask. If you could please head to the iTunes page of the podcast and rate and review the episode. This would really help to get the interviews and resources to as many people as possible. Also, I've created a private Facebook group so that we can continue the discussion after each episode. The link is in the show notes. Thank you again for listening and until next time.